Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 43 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker. I'm alongside, as usual, my dad, Chris. That was I'm Not All Right by Loud Luxury, walking you into this one. In this episode, we will talk about Anthony Kay's debut and his follow-up start, Kevin Biggio's cycle. We will also dive into 2019's biggest disappointment and, their, and 2019's biggest surprise, such as this year's A's, uh, predicting a 2020 Blue Jays outfield, and so much more. Chris, how are you today? I'm good, Dylan. How are you? I am fantastic. So let's get right into things. On Saturday, the Blue Jays, or sorry, two Saturdays ago now, I guess, the Blue Jays' number two pitching prospect made his debut as Anthony Kay got the start against the Rays. Kay pitched very well, going five and two-thirds innings, allowing four hits and two runs, while walking three and striking out eight. One bad inning was the only bad thing on the line there. Then there was a start against the Yankees. He was shutting them down through four innings. And then one bad defensive inning is what sealed his fate in that game. So what have your thoughts been on the young K so far? I think he's been great. Uh, I think he's been better than expected for the most part. And I think, you know, I mean, obviously the defensive atrociousness of the last game was uh, was really disappointing from a uh, perspective of, of the outfield. But the outfield has been terrible over the last few weeks, so... Nothing to be surprised with there, other than it ruined Kay's start. But, I mean, other than that, he's been great. He's been exciting to watch. Uh, I think he's going to be a staple in the rotation in 2020. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see how he finishes up the season and where he goes from here. Yeah, he's been really good. He's had a lot more strikeouts than I expected him to have. I expected him to be better than you expected him to be. But he has been uh, he has been better than expected in the strikeout department. I thought he was more of a ground ball pitcher. Clearly, I was wrong there. The breaking ball's been great. The fastball's touched 96, 97 at times. I think he's looked really good. And that outfield without Lourdes Goriel Jr. was terrible defensively. And Goriel, obviously one of the top players in the outfield assist department, even though he's only played, uh, or he's played much less games than anyone else in left field has. So he's been very good there, but the outfield was not good in Kay's last start. He pitched four scoreless. He was phenomenal against the Yankees. And then... Typical names, typical bad outfielders, Derek Fisher, Teoscar Hernandez, Randall Gritchick. That guy is on and off in the outfield. Uh, when he's good, he's really good defensively. And when he's bad, he is atrocious defensively. And it was just a, a bad defensive inning for the Blue Jays. And it cost Anthony Kay. The Jays did end up winning that game, so that was a good thing for sure. But Kay looked really good in that start. Question for you. Has Anthony Kay been more impressive than TJ Zoik? Oh, that's a good question. I I, uh, I don't know that he's been more impressive than Zoic. I think Zoic's been very impressive himself as well. Uh, I think it's pretty equal, though. I think there's opportunity there. I mean, Zoic just had a really good outing, even though he was not the starter. He was following an opener, but he did go, I think, four, maybe five innings in that start, and they were very solid innings. So, you know, Zoic's been pretty impressive, uh, and I don't think that's a surprise. I mean, he's obviously had a pretty good minor league career, and I think I think for me, and again, you sort of touched on this a little bit, Dylan, in that uh, I wasn't as high on Anthony Kay as, as potentially you were coming into uh, his Blue Jays career, but I will – fall on the sword a bit on this one and say that he has a surprised me very much. So I would say he's probably the bigger surprise for me uh, and B that he's better than I, I anticipated. And I, I certainly am happy to see that because the blue Jays definitely need pitching. Yes, they do. And you know, I would say that Kay has been equally as impressive as TJ Zoic as well. I think maybe he's been a little bit more impressive than Zoic. Zoic had that rough outing against the Red Sox where things got really rough. He pitched four and a third, allowed three runs, all of them earned. 
And against the Yankees, he only allowed two runs this past weekend. So he was good in that outing against the Braves. He was pretty good, too. The Zoika has been pretty good besides that one start against the Red Sox. Uh, they've both been really good, and they've been pleasant surprises in this Blue Jays rotation in September. We knew they were going to come up and do well, but I think that Kay is pitching better than expected, and the same can be said for TJ Zoik, just to a lesser degree, since we all kind of expected him to do really well, especially after that no-hitter in AAA. Moving on, Tuesday night, Kevin Biggio hit for the cycle against the Baltimore Orioles. In his first at-bat, Biggio struck out, then followed it up with a home run, a single, a double, and a triple to complete the cycle. He became the third Blue Jay ever to hit for the cycle and had two stolen bases to go along with it. How special was the game last night? Extremely special. It was awesome to uh, get a chance to see at least the highlights of it. Unfortunately, I didn't catch the entire game, but watching the highlights, even even then, they were pretty exciting. And just seeing that he could finish everything off with a triple was just awesome. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was a legit triple. I mean, it wasn't something where you could assess an error to somebody or something like that, and they just didn't know. It was legit. He got there, and, uh, and he deserves this cycle. And to see that he's only the third Blue Jay in history to hit for the cycle is pretty amazing. And it kind of gives you a big hope for this team coming up, especially offensively and especially with the three big guys. I think Biggio's proven himself to be something more than anybody's expected him to, sell him to be. And and as you said, or, or as I believe it was Shai Davidi that wrote that, you know, he's kind of been underrated through his beginning of his career. And, and uh, rightfully so, because, you know, his batting average, when you look at it initially, doesn't look like it's really exciting. But then when you look at some of the other stats, like his walks and his pitches seen and things like that, and his less, what is it, he's not swinging it at a lot of pitches. Uh, great. It's exciting. And it also proves that once he gets beyond this sort of sophomore stage of his career, he's probably going to hit for average too. And he's going to be a really, really exciting player. Yeah, for sure. And you talked about that triple last night. Um, there were two outs in the inning, chance to get out of it, avoid allowing any more runs. People were making the argument, oh, he shouldn't have gone to get that ball. I don't know who the center fielder was. I forget his name. When he ran into the wall to try and get it and he missed it, people were saying, oh, he could have just played it off the wall. No, he couldn't have because there were two outs in the inning and he wanted to avoid allowing any more runs. Well, it didn't so, look like he was going to get there. Like, I mean, if you watch the highlight, and I've watched it a couple of times, I mean, it didn't really look like he was going to get there to play it off the wall. I mean, he would have, maybe he could have taken a little bit of a different route, but even still, I'm not sure he would have, he would have made that play off the wall. Yeah, it's a very tough play to make. Um, and Craig Biggio and Kevin Biggio, they're either the first or the second father-son duo to both hit for the cycle. Craig did it, of course, in 2002. So that's pretty special there itself. Um, touching on Kevin Biggio, you, you mentioned his batting average, how it's pretty low and people tend to associate that with a good hitter. Since August 26th, which is the day that the Blue Jays uh, told Biggio to start being more aggressive on first pitches and pitches in the strike zone because he likes to take the first pitch of an at-bat and teams are starting to pick up on that and anything in the strike zone that was on the corners, he would usually take. He's got a great eye, and you don't want him to lose that. But once the Blue Jays told him, hey, start being a little bit more aggressive on pitches in the zone, if you think it's going to be a strike in the zone, you recognize that it's not going to dive away, and they trust Biggio to recognize that a pitch is going to stay a strike, then go after it. Since they told him that, he's been hitting three over 360. He's had an on-base over 500. He's been ridiculous. He's got four home runs, 11 RBI. He's got two triples in that time. Uh, I think seven doubles, something like that. He's been really good since then. If he can become a little bit more aggressive on pitches in the zone and keep that phenomenal play die, I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with in that Blue Jays lineup. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the top three 
are Biggio, Bichette, and Guerrero for many, many years to come. I don't think there's anybody that's going to end up being a flop out of this. And, you know, you always wonder about top prospects, the Travis Snyders of the world, that maybe, you know, something's not going to work out with them. I think we're past that with all three of these guys. I think uh, Biggio is proving that as well, even though you might have looked at his average and thought he was maybe the one of these three that could possibly hit that problem. Um, really, if if you ask me, I don't even think that, uh, that a Danny Jansen is going to have that that problem so I mean yes he's not hitting as well as he should be but defensively he's pretty good and I think you know for a catcher uh, he'll be fine there I just don't think there's a lot of guys on this team that aren't going to improve any further than this and this is going to be an exciting team to watch yeah it is and you touched on Kevin Biggio's uh, pitches scene and I forgot to mention it he's got the second lowest chase rate in the MLB he swings at very few pitches out of the strike zone he's got a 15.7 percent chase rate only person with a lower chase rate, Logan Forsythe, who is at 15.3%. So he's been very good. You touched on Danny Jansen and how he's been struggling. You don't think he's going to be a flop. He's hitting under 200 this year. He's been floating around that number uh, this season. And defensively, you said he's been good yesterday. We saw him actually lose a strike on a pitch from Justin Schaefer, which he moved almost a foot to try and frame it. Is Jansen really having as good of a year as you think he is defensively? I don't, uh, well, maybe. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, for a guy who's in his first full season, I'm going to give him some credit here and I'm going to cut him some slack. Is he a top catcher in the game? Absolutely not, at least not at this point. Uh, could he be? I don't know. I think he could be better offensively overall in his career. I think that's where you're going to see he's a better catcher than others. Uh, but defensively, he's certainly nothing to sneeze at or hasn't been. So, um, you know, and especially in a rookie year. So, is he the best in the bigs? No. Is he the best in the American League? No. Is he anywhere near the top? No. But he has the opportunity to improve, and uh, and I think you know we'll we'll see that happen. I think he's he's got some potential. I think he gets another year. I don't think he gets three or four like JPR and Sebia got to try and prove himself. But uh, but again, I think he has the opportunity to uh, to really improve over over the next year. Yeah, so we'll be looking for him to be a bounce-back candidate in 2020. Question for you. Right now, you look at their stats offensively and defensively. Who is your 2020 starting catcher just based on what we've seen? Reese McGuire or Danny Jansen? Still Danny Jansen. Reese McGuire is coming up the rear pretty quick on him. I mean, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear, and I think that applies to Reese McGuire coming up on Danny Jansen. But, uh, but at the same time, you know, I think uh, I think you still see Jansen get the nod at least in spring training, and then if McGuire can outplay him in spring training in 2020, you may find that he takes that spot. But I think if I'm predicting it today, I still think it's Danny Jansen's job to lose. I disagree with that. I think Reese McGuire would be the starting catcher, just judging on what we've seen so far this year. He's hit for a better average. He's hit for more home runs. Obviously, that's that's or not, or not as many home runs, but more home runs in the amount of games that he's played, which are obviously much fewer than Danny Jansen. But he has been really good at the bat. He's been more aggressive than Danny on pitches in the strike zone. He's been a good hitter, and defensively, he's one of the best catchers, I'd say, in the American League from a defensive standpoint. His receiving is phenomenal. He's got one of the better arms in baseball. He's really good behind the plate. I think that he is our starting catcher next year if everything continues the way it is, with the way it's going right now. Moving on to 2019's biggest disappointment, um, where we look at something this year that has disappointed us. It could be a team or a player, but there have been a lot of disappointing things this year. What trumps everything else to you? Socrates Brito. That's a blast from the past. <laughs> no, uh, Troy Tulowitzki. 
Really? No, no, of course not. I knew he was going to do exactly what he did. Uh, <laughs> so, which is retire, which is what he should have done last year and maybe even a year, two years ago. But anyway, I digress. I think the biggest disappointment in the big leagues this year is the Boston Red Sox. Uh, I, I really don't think anybody expected them. They're not terrible. I mean, they're not at the bottom of the, of the standings, but at the same time, you know, missing a playoff spot entirely this year was not expected, obviously. Uh, and I think, I don't know if that's just a product of poor pitching, if that's a product of some injuries that they've had, or if it's a product of time to kind of tear it apart a little bit. And uh, I think maybe that's what's, what's in the offing for the Red Sox. Are they aging? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but they also have a couple guys there that are, are maybe pushing free agency as well. And I think you're just going to find that the Red Sox are going to have to retool. Do they ever rebuild in Boston? No, they don't. I don't think you'll ever see a full teardown, but definitely a retooling will have to happen in the offseason for them if they want to see the playoffs in 2020. Yeah, I completely agree, agree with you. I think the Boston Red Sox have by far been the biggest disappointment of the 2019 season. And like you said, they've had a winning record this year. They've been a good team, but they were World Series champions last year, and they're going to miss the playoffs this year. That's been a product of poor road to, of, of terrible starting pitching. I mean, Sale wasn't good this year. Price wasn't good this year. Porcello wasn't good this year. Avaldi's been hurt most of the year. It's been really bad starting pitching. They didn't do anything at the trade deadline. They picked up Andrew Kashner, who was ridiculously bad in the starting rotation in Boston. They moved him to the bullpen, and he's been better. But, uh, you know, you talked about free agency. Mookie Betts is approaching free agency. I don't think they have that much uh, that much room for him on the team. People are saying that Benintendi, Bogarts, and Devers are the future core of that team. Do you see them making a trade for Mookie Betts as their version of stripping down this offseason? I think it's possible, especially with the amount of pitching need they have. I mean, that's certainly going to be who teams are probably asking about when they call Boston to offer up some of their pitching prospects or even uh, a major league-ready starting pitcher. But... Uh, you know, I mean, they've got some work to do, that's for sure. And and I think Mookie's one of the ones you could move to get some of that work done. Yeah, and obviously Mookie is still a good player, but he's going to demand a lot of money. And the Red Sox don't want to go too far over that luxury tax threshold. So maybe we do see Mookie go. I think he's the most likely to go on that Red Sox roster. So we will have to see what happens. But I think if any Red Sox gets traded this offseason, it's going to be Mookie Betts. Moving on, we discussed it way back in January with Casey Stern, but now the season is almost wrapping up so we can take a look at the season that was and talk about this. Who do you think this year's A's was? We heard Casey touch on it in his show way back in January, and again, this can be a player or a team, but who would it be? Well, uh, I would say, you know, I hate to do this because I'm going to sound a little bit like a homer, but I think the big three for the Blue Jays were a big surprise. I, I I, having lived a long Blue Jays fandom, <laughs> have seen people like Travis Snyder, as I mentioned earlier, come up with a huge amount of hype. Uh, even Roy Halladay almost threw a no-hitter in his first game and then had to go back to the minor leagues. Um, you know, it's it's something we don't see very often in Toronto, and for all three of them to be extremely successful coming up with their hiccups, I'll give them that, especially defensively, but... Uh, you know, for all three of them to do as well and, and to show that they're ready for the big leagues and when we'll never go back uh, is pretty exciting and very surprising. Yeah, you know what? That is pretty surprising and it's been good to see. But at the same time, me being the younger Blue Jays fan, I kind of expected them to do that when they came up. So it's not a bit as big of a surprise to me. 
Honestly, I hate to do this to you, Blue Jays fans, but the Mets have to be my biggest surprise of the year. And I know they have Marcus Stroman, who is now hated amongst these parts uh, by many of the fans just because of his time in Toronto. But they have definitely been the biggest surprise of the 2019 season for me. The fact that they were still in a playoff race, uh, that they are still in a playoff race, and it's this late in the season, I did not expect them to be. And although Marcus Stroman has been atrocious since he started uh, in New York, you know what? They've been a pleasant surprise. Uh, this year, I could also probably see the Minnesota Twins, who set a new uh, MLB record for home runs in a single season by a team. That's been really good to see. And the fact that them and the uh, Indians are battling it out in the AL Central right now, that's been really fun to watch. Uh, maybe the three-team wildcard race, too. The fact that there are only three teams competing there, but all three of them are very, very tight, being Cleveland, Oakland, and Tampa Bay. They've all been very close, and it's going to go down to the last day of the season. And in the NL, you can say the same thing with the Mets, the Brewers, and the Cubs, all battling for that second wildcard spot. So it's been, it's been a really fun year with playoff races, and I think we've seen a few surprises there as well. Moving on, starting a new segment on the show for a couple of weeks at least, uh, Making 2020 predictions. We will go position by position for the Blue Jays, discussing where we think people will be situated in 2020. Beginning today with the outfield. This year, we've seen a lot of different players in the outfield. Consistently, we saw Teoscar Hernandez, Randall Richard, and Lourdes Correal Jr. And over the course of the year, we also saw Brandon Drury, Kevin Biggio, Jonathan Davis, Anthony Alford, Derek Fisher, and Billy McKinney, just to name a few. Next year, ideally, you keep that number down to four, potentially five, depending on injuries. Who do you think we will see in the Blue Jays outfield to start the year, and what do you think it'll look like at the end of next year? Well, I'm going to fall on one sword today, and uh, but also ask Blue Jays fans uh, how you feel about it, because I did predict when Teoscar Hernandez was sent down that he would not return to the Toronto Blue Jays. Let me ask you, Jays fans, are we happy that he did? I don't, really. I don't think we are, even though he just hit a three-run home run as we speak. But, uh, <laughs> but again, it was against the Baltimore Orioles, who are really the AAA team of the Baltimore Orioles. Ah, I wouldn't even say AAA, I'd say AA. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not really concerned about that. It's the defense that's atrocious for him. He cannot return to this outfield. I'm sorry, he can't. Yes, there's some offensive potential. Maybe Adam as a DH next year, or maybe you just don't. Maybe we move on from Teoscar. There's got to be somebody better out there. I think when you ask me who the only lock, who, who are locks, and I just gave away my position on this one, uh, but who are locks for next year's outfield, the only one I think is a lock for next year's outfield is Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and that includes Randall Gritchick in my assessment of that. I disagree. And I say that because I think that Randall Gritchick and Lourdes Gurriel are both locks for next year. Why? Because Gritchick is at 29 home runs. He's a home run away from 30. You're paying him $52 million over the next five years. And if he's going to hit you 30 home runs, his home run total has only gone up since he's joined the Blue Jays. You can't tell me that that's an overpayment for a 30 home run player. You see guys that are hitting 30 home runs. Yes, they hit for a higher average, but they're getting up near 100 million. If you're paying Gritchick 50, 52 million and he's still hitting you 30 bombs, I'd say that's pretty good. Plus, he can be pretty good defensively in the outfield. At times, we've seen him get rocky out there, but usually he's a pretty consistent defender out there. He's been good uh, this year, in my opinion. Who do you think fills up that last spot, though? Because you can put Gritchick in center or right field. Who do you think takes up that last outfield position? I wouldn't go as far as to say he's in the system right now. I, I think at this point in time, you know, if I'm the Blue Jays and and I'm ex and I am uh, exploring if I'm the Blue Jays, an opportunity to move somebody. Uh, 
Uh, and potentially that's Randall Gritchick. Because, again, you can possibly move his 30 home runs, his atrocious defense. It's not atrocious. It is very atrocious. You've seen what? Not, two mistakes this well, year? Well, okay, because you're comparing him to Teoscar Hernandez. Yes, but I'm also comparing I'm also comparing, I'm also comparing him to Brandon Drury, Kevin Vigio, Jonathan Davis, Anthony Alford, Derek Fisher, and Billy McKinney. Yeah. He's played good defense out there. He's had a few awful-looking mistakes. And you tend to Ask let those. No, you tend to let those. You tend to let those make up your mind on how good a player is defensively. You have two big mistakes. That doesn't matter if you play consistent defense every other game of the season. I think Randall Grichuk deserves to be a lock in the outfield next year, and I don't see him. Get, I don't see him get moved at all this offseason. For a last place team, maybe, but you know, so maybe the Orioles. Would and be that's a good why spot. you'd be a last place GM. <laughs> the Orioles would be a good spot for Randall Gritchick. But uh, I think he starts in the outfield for somebody. I don't think it's the Toronto Blue Jays. I do think it's the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to just leave it at that for Randall Gritchick. Definitely Lourdes is in there, and I think the last person potentially comes from outside the organization via trade. Okay, so you don't think that any of Brandon Drury, Jonathan Davis, Anthony Alford, Derek Fisher, or Billy McKinney will take up a spot in the outfield next year. It all depends on whether you're going to move toward contention or whether you're going to stay where you are. If you're going to stay where you are, then yes, one of those guys are going to move into the outfield next year. If you're going to start moving toward contention, you're going to get a young, controllable, good outfielder, and none of them come from that group. Let me bring you to this. Forrest Wall. Is he... A future outfielder for this team. Yes, when Randall Gritchick is gone. Can he not slot into that extra spot because Gritchick can move to right field and Wall can play center? Not if you're moving toward contention. So it all depends on what Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro want to do now. You've got three guys at the top. You want to maximize their value for as long as you can maximize it. And if that's the case, you want to start to move toward contention right away in 2020. The three kids have proven that they can hit. They've proven that they can at least learn on defense and will get better. And they are ready to make that next step. And because of that, if I'm them, I'm saying, okay, I have to accelerate this a little bit to maximize the length of time I get out of them before one of them is inevitably gone via free agency, maybe even two. I imagine that one will get extended for sure, possibly two, but at least one of them is going to be gone via free agency when all is said and done. When that happens, you want to be able to look back on that and say, we got one or two World Series appearances, potentially a win out of that and maybe some extra playoff appearances as well. You need to move toward that as soon as you possibly can. And you talked about learning on defense. Two of the guys that I think we've uh, learned quite a bit, or we've seen quite a bit of learning on defense from are Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Kevin Biggio. Biggio started off the season uh, not really sure of himself over at second base, not making some of the routine plays or some of the plays where you should dive to make uh, a play, and he kind of held off from doing that. Lately, we've seen him make a lot of diving plays, make some great relay throws from second base. We actually saw him gun a few players uh, in the past month. So I think he's been good. Now, you tell me how you get rid of all these guys to get a good outfielder because I don't see a taker for any of these guys that will give you a quality outfielder back, and I think we missed our shot in the Sanchez trade. But Anthony Alford is out of options next year, so if you don't want him on your team, you can just release him uh, at the end of spring training next year. But how do you get rid of Jonathan Davis, Brandon Drury, Derek Fisher, and Billy McKinney? I don't know if you do. I mean, that's great depth to have in the system for an injury, right? They're all fourth outfielders. Maybe even maybe even fifth. And so 
you know, they're not, I don't see any of them as a starter on a contending team. If I, if, if I see them on the Baltimore Royals, great. That doesn't surprise me on a contending team. I don't see them as starters. They're great depth though. So you don't have to move them, but if you can move them for some pitching, or even as I say, for that young controllable, good outfielder, uh, you, you, do uh, you take that opportunity and you move them, but I just don't think you're going to move young outfielders for a good outfielder. That doesn't make any sense. That's going to probably be some of your pitching depth or something that gets that outfielder. But, um, but again, you know, these guys could easily be depth with the exception, as you say, of Anthony Alford, because something has to be done with him next year. But, um, you know, for the most part, these guys all look like they could be depth pieces for the Blue Jays. They just need, if they're going to move forward, to have something better in that outfield. And another guy we haven't touched on yet, Dalton Pompey. He barely, he didn't play this year. He was been, he was on the injured list all year long. He is out of options. He was out of options from the end of spring training. That's why they kept him on the IL all year long. What do they do with Dalton? Well, he'll probably end up with a concussion from one of the rubber dust pellets in the turf, but um, when it hits <laughs> when it hits him in the head. But uh, no, no, no. I, I digress, and and that's not funny. That's uh, <laughs> not funny because coming from a father of of a child that has had three concussions, I know that it's very easy uh, to get yeah. Don't a don't pass the don't concussion. pass the do not cross line in a bowling alley. Just yeah, to, yeah. This is a life hack. For all of you. Yeah, that's right. But all joking aside, I mean, concussions are obviously serious. And I think that that is something that uh, that Pompey may struggle with the rest of his career. I don't know what you do with him because, um, you know, I mean, you, you see how easy it is when you've had one concussion to get a second one, to get a third one. Um, and so, you know, it's tough for him. But at the same time, uh, you know, he's got the speed. He's got some defensive ability. I'm not sure about the offense on Pompey, but... Uh, um, but again, I, I mean, there's potential there, but he's definitely not your, your starting outfielder. That's for sure. One final question before we wrap things up. Does Forrest Wall make the opening day roster next year or do we see him called up in May? Uh, it depends. Depends on the, on uh, it totally depends on the off season. I mean, th- this is going to be a very interesting off season for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, because there's decisions to be made here. You're done your rebuild you're building now, how fast do you build is the real question. And then once you've made that decision, where do you piece in those building blocks? And that could be the outfield, as I say, that if that happens, it's unlikely to be Forrest Wall. Uh, if it, if they decide to build up the pitching instead as their main goal of the offseason, which it very well could be based on what we've seen for pitching this year on the team, um, then you might see Forrest Wall take that, that last outfielder spot. He's probably the only one that's a projecting to be a starting outfielder and not a fourth outfielder. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him even break the, the, t- the team. Um but uh, but again, I think I think again, like I say, it all depends on the offseason. We'll see where the Blue Jays go with it. It will be interesting to see. We thank you all very much for tuning in to episode 43 of 211's Baseball Talk, and we will see you all next week.